Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Hello once again, everyone. I'm Chris Caraggio, and you're listening to the ACHE Healthcare Executive Podcast, and we are so happy with our guest today. We finally nailed him down. Michael Fasina is joining us, and we're going to speak with him in just a moment. But as usual, let me tell you a little bit about Michael before we get going into the interview. Michael is the president of the New York Presbyterian Lawrence Hospital in Bronxville, New York, and a senior vice president at New York Presbyterian. Board certified in healthcare management as an American College of Healthcare Executives Fellow, Michael served as the ACHE Regent for New York Metropolitan New York from 2013 to 2016, and over the years has served on many ACHE committees. Uh, This past year, he became the chairman-elect of the ACHE. In addition to his service there, Michael is active on several boards of professional and community organizations, nursing homes, and senior centers including as an advisory board member for the University of Delaware College of Health Sciences, a member of the Board of Trustees for Silvercrest Center for Nursing and Rehabilitation, a board member for Live on NY, which is a council of senior citizens. He also remains active as a fellow in the New York Academy of Medicine and is a former health and aging policy fellow and a congressional fellow. Mr. Fasina received a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Delaware and a Master's degree in Public Health from Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Michael, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, and congrats for being elected as the uh, the chairman-elect. Chris, thanks very much. I, I appreciate uh, being here and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Yes, and like I said, you, you, you're the perfect person to talk to uh is the focus of our uh, discussion about about organization and and continuing of care of the elderly and, and all that. We're going to get to all that, but first, let me say so. So you're in New York. You I know you you live in New Rochelle, and I'm, I'm looking here. You had an active July in the water. Can you tell folks about the swim across America, the event? Sure. <laughs> yeah. For uh, well, I've been a competitive swimmer pretty much my entire life, and uh, you know. Each year, the Swim Across America does a uh, swim across the Long Island Sound. Uh, it's a 5K swim to raise money for cancer research and prevention and of uh, services, cancer research services. Uh, and I had an opportunity to do that with many uh, local swimmers who uh, some I've swam with when I was growing up and uh, the younger group of swimmers that are coming through nowadays. But it's a it's an exciting day. It's an important cause uh, for us to try and find some answers to cancer, and, and this money goes to a great cause, which is cancer research. What's the water like in the Sound in July? It was about 70 degrees. It was pretty warm. It wasn't bad at all. They do it in late July, so it has time to warm up, so it's not a bad event. Well, good, good, good. I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to chat a little bit about that, but that that's very interesting, and so it's a great job doing all that and raising all that money for the local cancer research. Okay, let's get going. We want to talk first, Michael, about about uh, specifically uh, your support over the years uh, towards our aging population, um, how, how that's important to you, and some of your goals for the continuum care of the elderly. Uh, first of all, has it always been really important to you throughout your career? It has been. It's something that I saw 
uh, growing up, I saw and watched uh, my grandparents age. I saw and watched neighbors, friends, aunts, uncles age. And I, it gained my level of interest on how do we care for them and what services are available for them in the community. We need to figure out how to have our aging population age gracefully and, and have services around. And it's just something that it's always been part of me. And then to work in a hospital and really start to focus on uh, health care and how do we improve the health status of our community. When, we, when I was working at one of our campuses, and we have a fair amount of patients who go to and from skilled nursing facilities or assisted living facilities, we started developing a team to get together to talk about how do we improve the communication across the continuum? What do we need to do? We're all taking care of the same people. They're the same patients, whether it's in our institution or another institution. They're members of our community. And how do we work together uh, to make this happen for the better part of the patients? And it's just something that I've inherently have always thought about uh, and participated in and, and tried to advance the services for the elderly. I was fortunate enough to become a health and aging policy fellow several years ago and working on the transition to care to and from the acute to the post-acute facilities. It's been a valuable experience, um, but it, it's been able to um, really allow us to use some of the things that we learned from different parts of the countries and embed them into not only our organization, but into our communities, whether it's an environmental uh, issue and sidewalk cuts or um, senior centers in our local community and services they have, but it allows us to piece things together. So it's always been important. And I would imagine, because it's always been s such a, an important part of your life, and you were made aware of that, as I was, by the way, uh, as, as a young person, and now to see my parents in their 80s, um, you know, it's even more prevalent in my life. Uh, how rewarding, do you, or is it a rewarding feeling knowing that you're actually not just thinking about it and seeing it, but you're actually setting goals and uh, accomplishing things in the continuing care for the elderly? How, do you think about that? I, I I do. I, it is rewarding. It, it, it is rewarding. And, and part of what we do as healthcare executives in and of itself is rewarding. But to be able to help improve the continuum of care is something I think we all should be thinking about and all should be doing and teaching the next generation. I spent many years doing Meals on Wheels with my kids because I thought it was important for them, one, to, to learn to give back to the community, but two, to help them learn the process of aging and some of the things that they need to do to make the lives of our elderly um, easier. And so it is rewarding to, to do. That's great. That's great. Okay, Michael, let's talk now about you because you've been, you've been a part uh, of some large healthcare mergers in your career. When something like that happens, um, and it doesn't really have to be large even, but when something, uh, a merger happens in the healthcare space, how, do you, how have you been able to pull off bringing everybody together, that organizational culture, when you're in a merger? How does that work? Culture change is hard, and it's probably one of the hardest things that executives are going to do, but it's something that they must do. And as leaders, we've got to 
create a vision. Uh, we've got to set it out there. We've got to articulate it to our staff. We have to communicate it appropriately so the staff embrace it and they engage it and they help facilitate the change. Because while we can set a vision, unless you have the staff involved, your, your vision and your culture is going to take much longer to occur. Change is hard. It's hard for everybody. And, you know, you, both organizations end up changing to come up with the best uh, possible process, right? So, so it's hard. How do you get every, how do you even start to get everybody on the same page when, it, when, when something like this happens? You got to get them together early on. You got to talk to the employees uh, as much as possible. You have to be authentic. You have to be truthful with them. You have to talk about what you're doing. You have to show the big picture on how it's not only going to help the organization, but it helps them as an employee. But change is hard, and people sometimes struggle with it. And, and there are people who decide they don't want to go through change, and they'll leave your organization. And there are those who say, you know what, this is great. I'm going to stick around, and I'm going to help develop the culture that the organization is trying to uh, to do. And, it, you know, you got to be in front of them. you got to talk the change and the culture over and over and over again because they don't hear it just one time around. You do it verbally, you do it one-on-one, -on -one, you do it in writing. There are multiple ways that you got to continue to get the message out about what you're trying to accomplish and how they can help and how this will help them and the organization. You know, it's funny, Michael, hearing hearing your answer there. You know, we've spoken with so many healthcare executives, and it's so funny how it always things always come back to the importance of communication, and some and and how how when leaders kind of fall off, they lose that a little bit. They lose the awareness of of communicating over and over and over again because you just said some people don't get it the, the first or the second or third time and you have to choose different vehicles to communicate, right? I, I would imagine in 35 years of you doing it at New York Presbyterian, that's something that's helped you elevate yourself, right? That that ability to communicate? It, it, it does. And it's important to do um, every day every week, every month, in every forum possible. And sometimes you think, well, I've talked about this. Uh, but somebody in the room might not have been listening the first time you talked about it, but they're now listening the second time around. And so they're now hearing it for the first time. And you also talk to your staff about communicating with each other and helping them help you get the message across. you got to talk to them in the good times and in the bad. Right, so they see and feel what you're trying to accomplish, and will help you when you need it. That's a great tip, and that 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 kind of segues into my next question. How about some other tips that you have kind of gathered in, in in your in all your years at New York Presbyterian about, you know, something maybe that you pass along to 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 men and women just starting out their careers as an executive in healthcare, What are some other things other than communication? I always took jobs, positions, um, tasks than anybody asked me to do. Uh, whether I knew that piece of the organization or not, I knew I would drive myself to learn it to the best of my ability. 
um, learn as much as I can about it and then be able to lead uh, that part of the organization. And I spent time really bouncing around the hospitals to make sure that I learned something new. I'm always learning something new. I was never afraid to take a risk to go into an area that I was unfamiliar with. I looked at that as a tremendous opportunity. I knew I wanted to run a hospital one day, and to do it, you got to know all aspects of the hospital. And so I would tell them that they should take the risk and take positions that they don't know. If somebody's offering them a job, they think they have something, some characteristics, work ethics, that will help advance that part of the organization. So they're going to support them, and they're going to help them out. As leaders, we never want people out there who are going to fail. Our job is to help support them, to pump them up, and to get them as much exposure as possible because we are creating the leaders of the next generation, and we want them to be as prepared as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking risks, though, that takes courage, Michael. So I guess you have to kind of summon that from somewhere inside you to take that step out of your comfort zone, right? You do. Yeah. You, you do have to do that. But I think it's important that we're not so hyper, super focused in one particular area. We've got to be able to understand all aspects of the hospital, all aspects of the continuum of care. If we're going to be leaders and we're going to change how the care is provided and improve the health status of our community. Well, anybody listening out there right now, I mean, uh, and you heard me list Michael's, uh, you know, his, his resume, his accolades here at the beginning. And so take Michael's advice because you're talking, you're listening to the president of the New York Presbyterian Lawrence Hospital. So if he says communicate, if he says go out of your way to communicate and do it many different ways, and if he says, hey, take a risk, step out of your comfort zone, summon that courage, these are things that you should implement uh, if, if you want to uh, advance your own career. So we appreciate Michael kind of kind of uh, laying out how he accomplished that. Let's talk a little bit, because you, you've said this so far in our conversation, Michael, change is hard. I think you've said it two or three times. Change is difficult. So have knowing that, um, the, the 2019-2021 ACHE strategic plan is designed to address just that. How, how organizations can professionally respond to the rapidly changing healthcare environment. So how is your role as chairman, how, how does your experience in all these years um, guide that way forward? Well, um, ACHA is a perfect place to start, right? That is our professional association. They are the source of information on new ideas and thinking that are going on in our industry around the country. It's an organization that brings leaders together uh, and allows us to have conversations about what's working in one part of the country, what are they trying in a different part of the country. So you really get the opportunity to learn, listen, and be educated from some of our nation's leaders in our industry of healthcare. Just a couple of years ago, our former chair, Chuck Stokes, started the Leading for Safety, which is a partnership with IHI, ACHE and IHI. And 
it's something that as an industry we do need to take seriously. We do need to get to zero harm. We do not only for our patients but for our staff. And and ACHE and Chuck really led the way in our profession to partner IHI to start that process and learn about what others are doing for safety and how can we continue to improve the care in our hospitals, the health status of our communities, and our and make sure that our staff are safe in the process. So um, we're fortunate to have such a premier professional association that allows us to go and learn from. Yeah, and, but it's a lot on that plate, though. So um, um, it takes a lot of work from everybody, and then that goes back to communicating and and realizing everybody's on the same page and getting into that culture. Yeah. I mean, we need our senior executives to be engaged. Um, we need them to engage and mentor the early careerist um, in their organization. Uh, ACHE is doing their part by trying to personalize the educational platform through our new ACHE app and looking at what is an area that a particular individual wants to focus on and then guide them in education sessions, articles, research in that area. So we're trying to do it, and we need to speed it up. The change, the rate of change is uh, occurring rapidly, and ACHE is... um, you know, working to make sure that we're responding as quickly as our members needed to. Um, you mentioned, and I know, uh, uh, including ACHE, you're on several boards of nonprofits. Um, and and you mentioned, just like you said, Meals on Wheels, you t- took your kids a- at an early age um, to just kind of get that feel of, of helping out, of reaching out uh, in your community. So let's talk about your civic duty. How does How does it cross over from from your professional leadership into uh, civic leadership for you personally? Wow. Uh, Giving back to uh, my community is something that I've learned growing up. It's something that my grandparents did. It's something that my parents do. It's something that my siblings do. We learned that at home, the importance of participating and giving back to your community. You know, I... I'm fortunate. I was able to find a career and a profession that aligns the values that I've learned at home with the values of our industry. And as healthcare leader, we've got to be a part of the community. We've got to participate in the community. We're typically the largest employers in most communities. Uh, we have to be a trusted partner with the community. The residents of the community need to know that their hospital or healthcare system is there whenever they need it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And by participating in different volunteer organizations or encouraging our staff to participate in different volunteer organizations in the community embeds us and our organizations into the fabric of the community. And when you do that, you lift up everybody. You lift up the community. You lift up your employees who get satisfaction out of volunteering. You lift up yourself, and you're comfortable with that. So it is truly something that I think is important for all healthcare leaders uh, to do, uh, to be a part of the community. Yeah, it becomes, uh, to be authentic in that realm, it's just got to truly be a part of you, right? And then um, you might not even know it's there. 
you know, for someone like you, it, it was embedded, like you said, from your grandparents to your parents. But for someone who didn't grow up like that, that is in the healthcare space, that can be taught, right? You can you can show them how important uh, giving back to your community in so many different ways are. They might just not realize how to do it. They just have to learn, correct? Yeah, I agree. And And as organizations, we should help them learn that. That's how, you know, that's how the world functions everybody's given back in some way some shape or some form and there's tremendous satisfaction in doing so and you can teach that and you do want your employees to be a part of it, but you want your own family to be a part of it as healthcare leaders we need to be a part of it we need to partner with our community because it just helps everybody uh, across the board yeah, it's kind of easy to kind of see that this time of the year, but year-round is what it takes, right? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. You know, Michael, I, and I know you're busy, but we again, we want to thank you so much. Such valuable information you have discussed here, tips and advice giving out to, to, to young folks in, in the healthcare community, being healthcare executives, and, and other folks as well listening to this podcast. So I just want to, I, I want to thank you, and we appreciate you coming on and, and doing this for us. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. It's always, uh, it's an honor to be a part of ACHE. It's an honor to uh, be their incoming chair in, in 2020 and, and to participate. So I, I appreciate the call. Well, it's going to be a great year. Michael, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. That's Michael Fasina. You too. That's Michael Fasina. He was our latest guest here on the ACHE Healthcare Executive Podcast. We look forward to many more episodes. Thanks, folks. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org dot org.